Welcome to NuclearCast, the official podcast of the Anwar Deterrence Center. Each week, we bring you leading experts for a lively discussion on topics related to strategic nuclear deterrence. Our host is Dr. Adam Lauther, Director of Strategic Programs at the National Strategic Research Institute. The views of the hosts and the guests are their own. Welcome to another exciting episode of NucleCast. Of course, as always, I am your host, Adam Lowther, and today we have a very special guest. Robin Hutchins is not only about to complete her PhD in nuclear engineering at Kansas State University, but I also sit on her dissertation committee, so I like her even more. But she is a young lady who of course, is the epitome of what many across the nuclear enterprise are looking to hire into their organizations, whether it's a lab or whether it's an intel agency or whether it's the Department of Defense or DITRA or one of the many organizations out there that needs bright young people. And so today we thought we would talk with Robin about what it takes to recruit young folks uh, into the nuclear enterprise, and particularly for her as a young woman, how do we attract these folks and young ladies into the nuclear enterprise, which tends to be, as I well know, an an entity that has a lot of old guys. And so with that, welcome into the show, Robin. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, so it's it's great to have you. As we were talking before the show, uh, you, of course, are almost done with your dissertation. And you've had, over the last few years, you've had a number of internships at a lot of great places. And you're looking whether to go to a more technical field or whether to go into sort of the policy and strategy realm. And so you've got a lot of options. So I want to go back to the very beginning. And I want to ask sort of what got you interested in nuclear engineering and what could, whether it's weapons labs, whether it's production facilities, whether it's the Department of Defense, DITRA, NNSA, what can they do in particular to bring in a lot, both young folks and young women? What can they do to interest folks in our specific area of interest? Okay. Okay. So how did I start? I think that um, I had always kind of been interested in science and history and um, I wasn't always amazing at math. And so, um, you know, I kind of was of the mindset when I went to college that um, I would try engineering with the uh, overwhelming shadow of it's probably going to be too hard. So I'll jump ship and go somewhere else after that. Um, so I kind of started my freshman year with the idea of, you know, I'll just see how this goes. If it goes terribly, I'll just jump out of, you know, at the first exit. Um, and so I kind of progressed on and then they kind of made me choose a specialty. And so they had bunch, a bunch of speakers come in and talk about the field. And when they got to the mechanical engineering um, specialty, they did, you know, their hour long presentation. And then the last 30 seconds, they said, and then there's this thing 
across the hallway. That's this nuclear stuff. There's a reactor over there. Uh, but let me know if you want to talk about mechanical. I was like, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> I'm like, can we go back and visit that? And so, um, you know, I met some people, just happened to meet some people. And this woman was telling me, you know, my son's a nuclear engineer. I was like, oh, what does he do? She said, radiation detection. You should meet him. I said, okay. So I met this guy for lunch. And uh, he was saying, I went to the mechanical and nuclear engineering program at Kansas State. Uh, you know, I actually worked in this lab. Um, this guy, Douglas McGregor. Uh, he's kind of the, the guru of radiation detection um, in the United States. You should meet him. I said, okay. So then I went and met him, and he was giving me a rundown of his lab. He said, you know, I think there's a guy in my laboratory, one of my graduate students, who's looking for an undergrad. Are you interested? I said, okay. So I went to his office, and, um, you know, the guy was just great. And so we just kind of hit it off, and, um, you know, that was in 2016. And I worked for him until 2019 when I graduated. Um, and then this is the exact office where I did my first interview with him. So once he graduated his PhD, I took his spot. So that's kind of how I got started and how I ended up here. Um, and so a common factor throughout all of that was just really supportive people that introduced me to people and just built my network and gave me opportunities. Um, so now relating to your question, what can they do to attract people? And I think it's kind of a similar thing of just uh, creating these opportunities and making people feel very welcome and um, encouraged. Because I think one thing that I really struggled with and that I mentioned in the beginning was um, this lack of confidence that I wasn't going to make it, but I'll try. Um, and so I think just I had really supportive people all around me that just propelled me, encouraged me and, um, you know, brought me to the next opportunity. Do you think that's a you know, that's a, so my dad's an electrical engineer and, you know, my parents espoused for me to be an engineer as well. And I said, well, no, geez, I don't want to be an engineer. I want to be a lawyer or I want to be a stand-up comedian. And I ended up doing neither, but I, you know, I ended up going into the military. I love politics and I worked on campaigns. And so I ended up getting a PhD in political science. And I will admit going back into back back to college after having been in the military, you know, the, I was behind, you know, in, in sort of in my math skills. And so I too was deterred from, you know, pursuing engineering or geology. I had thought about at one point I went to Arizona state. So I thought about being a petroleum geologist. Cause I thought, man, that's so I funny. Cause I thought I had the exact same idea. <laughs> I went to KU and wanted to be a petroleum geologist. That's so Yeah. Funny. I wanted to travel the world looking for oil. I thought it'd be a great, but then I still had to, you know, I had to take calculus. And then I had, was looking at the series of, of courses and ahead of me, I thought, man, I don't, I don't know if I'm good enough for that. So this idea of confidence, you know, it's, it's a real one for, you know, for a lot of folks. And I sort of wonder, do you have any advice? Like if, if we've got a lot of folks out there that would be like you or me who are perhaps deterred from the sort of engineering fields that would really benefit the nuclear weapons enterprise and the sort of the deterrence enterprise, uh, is there anything that you would recommend for them to do? How could they better encourage, say, undergraduates or or graduate students to sort of persevere, to understand what the potential is if they do persevere, to then go into these really interesting career fields? 
Yeah. So, um, it's kind of funny you ask, like, what would you say to this person that came up to you and is just lost and not confident? And I actually had this happen to me at an interview. I went to, um, you know, how they have for internships, they have a bunch of young people coming all together and it's kind of like a little dinner cocktail hour kind of thing. And I had this young woman come up to me. I was a senior at the time and she was a freshman or a sophomore and she just looked scared to death being there. It was just a very intimidating environment. And she just walked up to me, don't know her Adam, literally just says, I don't know why I'm here. I don't belong here. Why did they choose me? I don't even know this person, this girl. And I'm just like, put that attitude away. Like, do not tell another person in this room what you just told me. Fake it till you make it. Have this very confident attitude about you. No one knows who you are. Nobody knows if you're um, 20 or 29. Nobody knows you. Just have this persona about you and just have this mindset that you are the best there is. There, you know, you are going to work harder than everyone else in this room. You will be the best. And I feel like that will come out when you're doing these interviews, when you're meeting these people, you know, you have a very humble approach to it, but also just have sure. the mindset that you will work very hard. You will be the hardest working person in this room and you will outwork every single person in this room. And regardless if you are the smartest or, um, you know, very mediocre intelligence, I feel as if any hard work that you do will overcome any of those, um, you know, shortcomings. Yeah. And so what would you tell? So encouragement is obviously kind of an important thing, both whether it's faculty or, you know, students who are further along in these programs. But what about, you know, so let's say you're at Kansas State. And so, you know, we're, you know, you and I both live close to the Kansas City National Security Complex. And if you were to offer Eric Wallerman, who runs that organization, if you were to offer him advice on how to better recruit, because it's, it's, you know, there's a, the challenge is part of it is you can't really, and you've been a, an intern there, so you, you know what they do, but you can't necessarily, for a lot of the weapons complex, you can't go into great detail because it's classified what happens and what type of work they will be doing. But it's, it's also, you know, one of the big challenges that we hear about is that for many people, they don't want to go into nuclear weapons work because they have uh, a predisposition, you know, a view of, of what that work is. And so it may not comport with their, you know, personal values. How would you tell the folks, you know, Eric Wallerman and the KCNSC folks, and, and then of course this would apply to the rest of the national security and nuclear enterprise. How would you tell them to go out to K State or KU or UMKC or Nebraska and to, to sort of encourage these folks to bring them in, to recruit them, to get them excited about the potential work that they could do? Yes. So kind of prepping for this whole conversation, I was doing some research. And so according to the site called um, Career Explorer, and so they mm -hmm. were talking about um, surveying 97 women in nuclear engineering, which let me tell you, that's hard to find for them. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they uh, surveyed these women and said, you know, what's perturbing you from advancing your career and staying in this field in general? And so one of they gave women five um, you know, sectors to choose from salary, job meaningfulness, personality fit, work environment, and skill utilization. 
the lowest ranking of those five that women, um, you know, said they were least satisfied with was actually job meaningfulness. And so to me, thinking if you're going into these, um, you know, nuclear complexes, that is extraordinarily important work. And so I remember, like you said, I've been through that process. I remember sitting there after the day of interviews and they played this video um, where they were, um, you know, explaining how impactful the work was. And I just remember thinking, oh my gosh, like I get to be here. I get to work on this project that is going to, you know, have all of these huge effects and defend our country and defend those abroad who are dependent on our nuclear complex. And I think that job meaningfulness highlighting that, how meaningful my contribution really was going to be, was just the world. So I think maybe um, capitalizing on the job meaningfulness and the job impact and really um, explaining to these young people how valuable their contributions will be. So do you think it would be helpful for, say, labs in NSA, DOD, DITRA to come out to schools and have folks talk to, you know, potential students and potential, you know, and start sort of a pipeline approach and, and sort of, you know, because you've, you've worked at a number of, of labs and you've worked in other organizations. And do you think that that's part of what they need to be doing to try to sort of build this understanding of the importance of it to keep them, you know, keep them interested? Yeah. So um, I just think that it's very much you go to apply for these jobs on an online portal and it just turns into a black box and you have no idea if it's a robot on the other side or if it's an actual human being looking at your resume. And so I think, um, you know, that's a bit impersonal in a sense, which I understand there's a bunch of applicants. So you have to, you know, use your resources wisely. But I think um, adding that personal factor to that recruitment would um, kind of personalize the experience. And um, once again, have a person communicating their experience and, um, their love for their job and how meaningful their work actually is to get that young person excited about, I could also have this really meaningful career that's impacting um, in, in touching so many different parts of our national security and, um, you know, not only ours, but around the world. Yeah. So as you look, you know, because you're about to finish a dissertation, which then opens up an entire world in a career for the next 30 or 40 years, have you thought through yet sort of like what you hope and, and let me digress for just a second. You're a little bit different in that, you know, you tend to have guys like me who are sort of focused on policy strategy, adversary behavior. We're the social scientists. And then you have the engineers and the physicists. And we tend to, to have very distinct career paths and approaches. Whereas what you've done is, so Kansas State, for many who don't know, has a both a master's and a PhD program in uh, security studies. And so you, Robin, have, have gone both routes and are doing both the engineering and the security studies route so that you're competent in both. As you look to your future, what did what are you looking to accomplish? Are you looking to, to go spend a bunch of time as a practicing engineer, either designing widgets or, you know, doing that type of work? And then, you know, for guys like John Harvey, who was, and for a lot of guys who 
are physicists and they'll spend a lot of years at the labs and then sort of mid to later in their career, they'll go to D.C. to do policy work and they'll shift. Are you, are you looking to follow that path or what kind of path do you envision for yourself? Yeah, so you allowed me to actually get connected with um, Mr. Harvey and um, Dr. Harvey, and we actually had this conversation, and um, he kind of helped me work through some of this. And so um, from that conversation, we pretty much concluded that it really um, brings a lot of credibility to your name if you build your skills as an engineer. Um, And then one day, if aspiration is still there, to make that jump over to policy, So obviously I've spent a lot of time with you and learning from you and understanding um, the nuclear sector um, from a policy and security standpoint. And, uh, you know, I just, it it would be very hard to um, abandon all that I have learned from you to just go into a straight engineering sector. Um, So ideally, and um, perhaps this is a cop-out answer, but I wish that I could have the best of both worlds to where um, I'm able to very much interact with um, the engineering and technical folks and then be able to translate some of that, um, you know, jargon um, to people who are less technical that could then impact um, policy and, um, you know, the long term. So that's kind of where I'm looking is to make that um, nice connection and kind of where you've helped me along with Dr. McGregor. I've helped me to, um, you know, use that connection between the two realms. So ideally, that's where I would like to sit, um, you know, and, Maybe some days I get to actually go out to the lab and, you know, contribute towards the technical work because I've spent a lot of time um, learning about detector systems and all of that, but also kind of getting to influence where they're deployed or um, how they're deployed and um, conditions and things like that. So perhaps that's a cop out, <laughs> but that's my ideal fantasy of what I'd be doing. Okay, so it's time to take a quick break. We're talking to Robin Hutchins about the future workforce and how do we bring young women into engineering, a male-dominated discipline, of course. And we'll be right back. This episode of NucleCast is brought to you by the Anwar Deterrence Center, whose mission is to educate Americans about the nuclear enterprise and strategic deterrence. Okay, we're back with Robin Hutchins. So let me digress for a minute. So I have a 10-year-old, Abby, and Abby uh, has decided uh, because, of course, we're now don't give it away because we're two episodes behind on The Bachelor. And Abby and I watch it religiously. And so we both were we haven't seen the tell all night, which we're really looking forward to. We'll probably watch it this evening. And we haven't seen the finale. And so we, we really think Katie's going to win. But don't tell me if she doesn't. That would be so heartbreaking for both me and Abby because we love Katie. But Abby has decided she does not want to be a contestant on The Bachelor. I'm very proud of that. 
Uh, she has also decided that she no longer wants to have her own YouTube channel. I'm very proud of that. She has now, she was also, and I was okay with this one. She did at one point, and she still may have some desires to be a Mandalorian. Uh, this is the way. Uh, we, we used to go out to eat at restaurants and she would wear her Mandalorian mask during COVID. And as a good Mandalorian, she would not remove her mask to eat. She would eat underneath the mask. This is the way. And so, but she no longer has to wear her Mandalorian mask. And so now she wants to be a rocket scientist. She's quite good at math. She's three years ahead in math. So she's very good at it. And she wants to fly satellites, build and fly satellites and, and learn, uh, get a PhD in rocket science. So she can, uh, that's something she's interested in. Now, these kind of aspirations obviously change. She's 10. Uh, do you have any recommendations for, you know, dads and moms like me who have aspirations for our, you know, our little girls who want them to go into these technical fields? And uh, be successful and, and, you know, pursue challenging careers and not be contestants on The Bachelor or social influencers. Uh, any, any advice for us? Because you're at that point now. You've done this. Yeah. Um, and so kind of thinking through my mind, gathering, because I assume this question would come. And so, uh, you know, I've kind of thought about what in my upbringing, not that it at all, um, you know, was the key to. Um, ensuring your child ends up to be, you know, an engineer or whatever. But, uh, you know, I was thinking through my childhood and the path that I had taken with my family. And so one thing that really stuck out was that uh, growing up, I was pretty close with my father and, um, you know, I was the typical daddy's girl. And so, uh, you know, we grew up on a ranch and uh, had lots of land and we had a woods and everything. And, uh, you know, there was a little neighbor girl up the street. She had the exact same, um, you know, environment. And we were both always outside. We were always fixing our bikes with our dads. Um, you know, I got tired one time of having training wheels on my bicycle. And my dad had the night before, before he went to work, he had shown me how to use the wrench and everything and uh, everything to get it off. And so uh, my mom let us go have our outdoor playtime. She comes out and I had taken all the tools out of the toolbox and um, removed all of my training wheels and was riding up and down the sidewalk as fast as I could. So I think kind of that mentality of uh, breaking down this culture of, uh, you know, let dad fix your bike. Dad will fix your bike. You go inside with mom and I'll have it ready for you when you're done, princess. I think the idea of come outside with me, let me show you why you need a bike chain, why, um, you know, how to remove your tires and um, how to fix them, how to grease them, everything like that. So I think kind of breaking down that idea of um, these cultural norms of, um, you know, it's appropriate for me to teach my son to do this, but not my daughter. And so I think that you know, encouraging both of, um, you know, your children, whether they're boys or girls, to, you know, be self-sufficient, be able to, um, you know, enjoy walks out in nature and, um, you know, it's okay to get dirty kind of idea um, versus trying to always stay clean and, um, you know, be able to actually enjoy yourself, learn about the world. And so kind of thinking about how we had that upbringing, 
you know, I look at it today, my old neighbor, my childhood best friend, she's also a civil engineer at working on environmental engineering. She went to K-State too. We bumped into each other one day in the atrium. We're like, oh, you're here. So that was kind of an awakening moment of we had the exact same upbringing, kind of same mentality of you know, ways that we were raised and we both kind of ended up in the same place. So odd, but interesting. Um, so that's kind of my my take. Not that I have any children of my own to speak on. But. Sure. Well, I mean, you're still young, so. <laughs> yeah, we'll get there. <laughs> now, as you think about, you know, graduating and moving into a career, uh, most of the sort of the, you know, within the nuclear enterprise, it's, you know, the average age is at the labs. It's, you know, in the late mid to late 50s uh, across DOD. You know, I, I'm 47 and I'm on the young side. And so it's got quite a bit of, you know, it's, a, it's an older crowd. And so many of the sort of the managers that you will work for will be older men. Do you have any advice for them on how to mentor, you know, folks like you, younger people in their 20s? And is there any difference in mentoring a young woman versus a young, young man? Or are they pretty much the same? Uh, do you have any advice for, for everybody to, you know, as they try to, because, you know, we want to bring, we want to recruit talent. We want the best people regardless of, you know, age, gender, whatever. And then we want them to come. And then one of the things that was brought up at the the deterrence summit three or four weeks ago was that we're we're doing a pretty good job of recruiting young people, but then they have a tendency to leave after a few years. So this retention issue is a big one. What would you say to folks in terms of how do we retain talent and mentor, you know, young folks and keep them interested? Yeah. So there was a study um, performed by the Nuclear Energy Agency. And so they once again asked these women pinpointing exactly, select from the survey, what are the reasons why um, you're not staying in the nuclear industry? And so one of the top answers at 40% of the respondents identify with was lack of women or women leaders. And so um, not that I necessarily um, identify with that, but I think that, um, you know, if you're a young woman or a young person in general and, um, you know, you want to understand how to approach a problem or, um, you know, you want to be mentored, uh, sometimes it's easier to approach a uh, person that uh, you identify with. Sure, yeah. Or that, um, emulates you in a sense you're like okay well they have they've gone through this themselves they understand the problem intimately Um, i would rather i feel more comfortable approaching them so that maybe is where i uh, could identify with that 40 percent answer um but i and i think this just kind of evolves with time as you know as our society becomes more inclusive of women and becomes more socially acceptable with these generations coming through of uh women being in the workplace, women um, having these management type roles will just naturally evolve higher in the food chain. And I think that once they do get there, um, taking the time, remembering, keeping that in your mind. If I was once that person who, um, you know, was starting out engineer one, um, you know, making an intentional effort to um, mentor them if they are looking for that. Um, And so I think from the current perspective of having this um, as you identify, as you pointed out, the um, older um, 
male managers that are currently looking to recruit this younger talent, um, female, uh, I think not making them feel, um, like they don't belong in a sense, but being very welcoming, um, you know, sometimes there's some stereotypes that can come out and, um, just making everyone feel very welcome and like they deserve to be there and just giving them the respect they deserve. Um, I think that would just be overall very productive to making women and young people in general feel very welcomed in their environment and encourage them to stay longer. Yeah. So one of the sort of the knocks on the millennial generation is that they want to advance very rapidly. Do you see that as being true? And is it something that, you know, because across the, the enterprise, you know, I, whenever I was at station at Kirtland Air Force Base and worked with Sandia folks, I had met some, some of the engineers that had worked on a very specific system and a very specific component of that system for a career. And so while salaries may go up over time, it was this, career devotion to a very narrow, a critical component for safety purposes. But um, it wasn't a, you know, you come in and 10 years later, you're, you know, the associate lab director. Uh, do you see that as, as something that is true? Or do you see just, hey, if you give me really meaningful work and then, you know, I can pay, you know, I can pay the bills and take care of a family, then, you know, I'm, I'm good to go. How, how do you see the dynamic of all of that working? Sort of those personal incentives, I guess. Yes. And so, um, you're mentioning of the millennials being very ambitious, um, almost to an entitled standpoint or kind of realm, um, Mm. I currently am teaching, so I um, have experienced that um, sense of entitlement to an extent um, with students. But, um, you know, I think that keeping the idea that everyone's unique, not only in their management styles, I think I missed that part of the question earlier. You're saying um, is mentoring or managing a female versus male um, different. I think that everyone's unique in their management styles as well as their ambitions. And so I think that initially coming into the workplace and saying, what are your goals? What do you need from me? Is just a huge conversation that I'm looking to have with my future employer. Um, so that, you know, we're both kind of giving a give and take there of I'm getting what I need. They get what they need kind of from the relationship. Um, so clear clarity so think, of expectations is key. Yeah. And everyone just uh, having really clear communication lines of you did not meet the performance criteria. Here's why. Um, as well as, um, you know, this is what I expect from my mentor or my manager. And so I think that um, having that clear line of communication and everything is, is one of the stepping stones to be able to have that career advancement and having someone that manager like personally invested in you and saying, okay, I know that your um, ambition in the next five years is to reach this manager level. Here's how I, if you, this is actually what you want to be doing, here's my plan and this is how I want to get you there. So I think having, once again, that personal investment um, is key. And I think that if somebody, you know, in my position comes in and 
has, you know, this career ambition that I want to be at this point in my career by this point um, time, communicating those expectations to your mentor or to your manager, whoever that might be, and having them say, okay, here are the stepping stones. Here's how I can support you doing that. And here's what you need to do on your end to get there. And I think that might curb some of those um, entitled, unrealistic expectations. So we are, you know, we're obviously we're running out of time and we're, we're at the end of the show. But if you were to leave both young people and, you know, senior leaders across the nuclear enterprise with some advice, what advice would you give them? What, what would be your big takeaway? I think that from the younger person point of view, I think building your network um, and just being um, willing to put yourself in those uncomfortable positions, because I think the only way that you grow and become better is by um, growing from that uncomfortableness and embracing it. Um, I think from the other perspective is um, giving young folks the opportunity to put themselves in those uncomfortable positions and then helping them grow out of it. I think it's just about embracing opportunity, presenting opportunity, and building those networks and allowing everyone to uh, mutually benefit from those relationships. All right. Well, with that, Robin Hutchins, thanks for joining us on NucleCast. And I want to thank the listeners as well. Robin, it was a pleasure. You know, I hope the listeners, many of whom are senior in the enterprise, will listen to this episode and will take away some useful points that they can then implement in their own organizations. But thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. All right. Well, thanks. Uh, That's another great episode, and we will look forward to seeing you on the next episode of NucleCast. So we just talked to Robin Hutchins about what it is to be a young woman moving into the nuclear enterprise and, and, of course, how do you recruit and retain talent? And I thought her, you know, her advice is, is pretty reasonable stuff. It's things that we can all do to try to bring mentor, you know, that idea of that she mentioned early on that of a lack of confidence in being able to, to achieve, you know, a nuclear engineering degree, the very kinds of engineers and physicists that we need. And so helping them with building confidence and then uh, this idea that the job I'm doing has a purpose, which I know it's important to me. And so it would make sense that it's important to women across the, the nuclear enterprise. And so those were just some good, solid advice that I think we can all, if we remember, will help us to recruit and retain the talent. This has been a production of the Anwa Deterrence Center. Our executive producer is Kimberly Charrington, and this episode has been engineered and mixed by David Plumball. Follow the show on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter at NucleCast. Listen, follow, and review the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts.